Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, Father in heaven, Lord, by thy grace, we made it to Thursday here at Eastern Camp. We know the theme this week that many words have been spoken, perhaps some fitly, some not so fittingly. We pray that in this forum, words would be spoken, but not from the one who stands before this crowd, but the Holy Spirit would speak in a very mighty way, would convict hearts to want true change, to turn and follow the one true and living God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Nick Taba. I'm currently a minister at the Apostolic Christian Church of Beverly Hills, Michigan. Been there for about four years now. Um, was called years ago, 2001. I was baptized two days before 9-11. Didn't know the significance of that date, September 9th, 2001, until two days later when we realized how our lives have changed forever. And so many lives ended that day. How many of you so far have answered the call? How many of you are, as we would coin them, converted people? All right, not even 50%. Excellent. Not excellent, but you know where I'm going. Why do we need a forum like this? Called by God, now what? What happens in your minds when you hear something, I've been called, or you've been called? How many have been called this week? Maybe not out of the converted, but how many of the unconverted have, have felt the call of God? It's Thursday. Raise your hand if you feel like you've been called. What happened in your heart and mind? Throw out single words. What happened when you felt called? What were some of the feelings you had? Peace. Peace. I tell you what, I had the opposite when I was called. How about fear? Any fearful? What else? Shame? Dread? Guilt? Terror? Love? Confusion? Any of those emotions ring a bell with anybody? Helplessness. So why a need for a forum like this? Well, because the signposts outside the teen dorms look like this. Lost, confused, unsure, unclear, perplexed, disoriented, and bewildered. And so instead of having folks of your demographic walking around confused, perplexed, and fearful, and hopeless, we have a forum like this this morning. Are we special in so much as that God's calling us in the 21st century? Does that make us special? What's your thoughts? Does that make us special? Well, hasn't God always called? His call in, and I coined it as His story, you've probably heard that before, God has called 
his people, his creation, in various ways throughout history. Who's heard of this man? Adam. Anybody hear of Adam? Come on. We just got out of Bible class, right? My kids heard of Adam in, in junior school. What was his call? Anybody remember? It's on the screen. I gave you the answer. What was his call? He ran from the presence of God and God reached out through word and said what? Where are you, Adam? Where are you? That's the first call you'll ever receive. Why? Why is that the first call? If you had never been to Eastern Camp before, and you wanted to get here, and you called the campus here, and you said, hey, I want to get to Eastern Camp. I'm on my way, but I'm kind of lost. I'm a little confused. The directions weren't so clear. What would the response be on the other line? Where are you? Right? Where are you? Where are you starting from? What is your starting point? Because if you don't know where you are, then how are you going to know where you're going? And so God asked Adam, where are you? When he was hiding from him in fear. Abraham. Who's heard of Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons, right? We're not going to sing. Right. Father of many nations. What was his call like? Abraham grew up in what kind of a family? Went to Sunday school every, every Sunday, right? He came to Eastern... No, he didn't. Grew up in a land of what? Idolatry. And God called him how? Get out of your kindred, get out of your house to where? To a place I'm going to show you. Okay? Moses. Anybody hear of Moses? Yes, we all heard of Moses. Leader of the children of Israel. 40 years, then 40 years, then 40 years. Kind of summarizes his timeline. But how did God call Moses? Through a burning bush, right? And what was Moses' response? Whoa, don't choose me. I can't go. Why couldn't Moses go? What was his excuse? I don't know how to talk, right? But he, he was wise. Why? He had a suggestion. What was his suggestion? Go find my brother. My brother Aaron can speak a lot better than me. And so God made provision. But God called Moses. Gideon. How many remember the, uh, the account of Gideon? All right. Gideon was a judge, right? The battle of the Midianites. Remember that one? Started out with how many men? 32,000-ish. Got it down to about 300, right? What was Gideon's response? to the Lord who said, Thou mighty man of valor, you're going to lead us against these Midianites. What was Gideon's response to God's call? Prove it. Right? Prove it. I'm going to lay the fleece, make it wet. I'm going to lay the fleece again, make the ground wet, make the fleece dry. Prove it. Samuel. Who's heard of Samuel? Perfect. Last judge of Israel, what was his call like? Middle of the night, here's a voice. Who does he go to? 
Eli goes to his mentor. He goes to the one who's taking care of him, the priest. He describes the call. And what does Eli say? It wasn't me. Go back to sleep. And what happens? Gets called again, right? What does he do? Goes to Eli. And we know the account. Eli perceives that this calling is from the Lord. And what's the response when Samuel hears it again? Speak, Lord, thy servant hears. Who's heard of Isaiah? Good. The Messianic prophet, if you will. What was his calling like? Who will go before us? Who will go for us? Can't find anybody to send to this nation. What was his response? Here am I. Send me. How about Peter? Who's heard of Peter? Good. Peter and James and John went fishing, right? So, Peter Fisherman becomes an elder later in life. What was his calling like? Peter, drop your nets. Let's go. No longer will you catch fish. You're going to be what? A fisher of men instead of a fisherman. How about the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus at the time? Heard of him? Yeah, we've all heard of these people, right? Counts for nearly half the New Testament in his writings. What was Paul called to? Where was he going when he was called? He was going to kill who? Christians. Why? Because he was right in his convictions. What he was doing was for God. And then God did what to him? Reminded him, knocked him down, blinded him. Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the pricks, the goads, the conviction of the Spirit. How many of you heard of those people? Almost everybody raised their hand. What is unique about those men, folks? What is unique? They answered the call. Are they special people? More special than you? How many of you look at a roster like that and say, whew, Bible heroes, right? Superstars, untouchable. God select chosen few. That's not me. Who believes that? Anybody in here believe that? That those are superstars, superheroes, put them on the level of just slightly above humans? Nobody does, right? So what does that tell you about God? No respecter of person, right? We are all created in His image. God calls irrespective of your upbringing, where you are in life, what you're doing in the moment, right? You could be working like Peter, fishing. You could be sleeping like Samuel. You could be scared and hiding like Adam. You could be like Gideon and just confused, needing answers. Prove it, God. You could be like Paul, living out your life, justifying your actions, and God knocks you down. We can align our lives in this room like any one of those guys. So remember this when God calls you. It's never convenient. We're not going to always see the thunder, the lightning, the clouds parting. 
But know this, what Jesus said, He's going to call the sinners to repentance, not the righteous. What's interesting about His call is it's always bigger than something of that moment. It's for a greater purpose. It has eternal consequences whether you answer or not. And the promise that comes with the call, especially to salvation, is that He will promise to fulfill it if you receive it. Here's some things to remember. God knows you far better than you'll ever know yourself, even better than your parents will know you. Why? Because He created and formed you in His own image. The best part is, He's going to meet you where you're at. That's the scary thing sometimes. Because you might be living life like Peter saying, I got a job, I'm providing for my family, I like where I'm at. Or Paul, I'm justified in my actions the way I'm living. And he meets you there. And he finds you. And he calls you. Oh boy. Oh boy. Who's been on this ride? Anybody have been on this ride this week? What's this ride about? Define the counseling carousel. Anybody that's been on it, what's it like? You go up and down in circles. Right? Pick your horse, pick your animal, whatever it is, your, your chair. See, there's a minister there, he's got a tie on, right? Yeah. So you sit across from the minister, right, or the elder. Right? What do you talk about? What do you guys talk about? Why are you here? Right? They, it's the Adam question. Well, why are you here? Where have you been? Where do you want to go? All that good stuff, right? Why is it a carousel? Why does it become a carousel? It's fun, right? While you're on it for a bit, right? And then you get off and you come to camp the next year. And what happens? You go on again, right? This is fun. I'm, I'm and then you can tell your friends, right? What'd you do last night? I didn't see you uh, wherever you were, whatever, whatever you were doing after Inspiration Hour. What do you say? I was counseling, right? That's good. That's good. That's the mechanism we have in place right now is we offer counseling to souls who are seeking. That's good. But it can lead us to nowhere quickly, right? If we never get past the counseling carousel. No more counseling carousel, okay? Let's limit it to one ride, okay? And let's find out how we don't have to get on it year after year after year after year. Called to what? What are we called to? Give me one word answers. What are you called to? Those of you who said you were called, what were you called to? Salvation. Salvation. What else? Say it again. Grace. What else? Say it again. Hope. Hope. Life. Life more abundant. John 10.10. 10. Absolutely. God's purpose. Christians in the room. Converted souls. Have you felt called this week? Yes. What were you called to? To continue. What else? Repentance. 
Continual sanctification. Stop reading my slides. What else? Righteousness. How about we summarize that? Call to change. What kind of a, a word is the word change? It's a verb, right? It's an action to change. You've got to do something, right? And God is calling us to change. Well, what kind of change? What's that thing? Chameleon. Brother Dushko alluded it to, to it yesterday in his forum, right? The chameleon. Why does the chameleon change? And how does he change? Okay. Okay. What else? Protection. What in essence is his change? What is he doing? Has he become anything other than a chameleon? He's still a chameleon, right? So what really changed? His appearance. His outward appearance, right? For who? Why does he change? You guys just said it. Protection, safety. Who's he changing for? For himself, right? This is, this is what we would define as self-preservation, right? Changing for himself. What's this? What kind of change is that? Metamorphosis, right? That was also alluded to yesterday. That would be a transformation, right? That would be a complete conversion going from the caterpillar to the monarch. When you hear the word change, how does it make you feel? One word answers. How does it make you feel? When somebody tells you, you gotta change, what does it make you feel? Uncomfortable. Creatures of habit, right? Aren't we all? If you decide to change, how many of you like to put conditions on it? Right? Mom and dad say, hey, that's probably not appropriate for church camp. Why don't you go change that, right? Well, then what do you do? You go and change, you put it on, or whatever it is, or you present yourself again, and you ask what? Is this acceptable? Are you happy with this change, right? And who's that change for? For mom and dad, right? And also for you because it allows you to go to camp. And you want to go to camp, right? So you make those kinds of changes. How many of you like to be in control of your change? I do, right? Why are we control freaks? Why? We're human? Lack of faith. We're scared. Right? We're scared to change. It's uncomfortable. But what happens when we are the ones affecting the change? I'm in control of the change. I know what it's going to look like. What happens? Who's, whose picture gets painted, if you will? Here's a great example. My kids are into Lego. Believe it or not, three years old. They love Lego. But they want the car, right? They want the car that's on the picture. Guess what happens when they choose to build it? Lots of leftover pieces, right? Because they don't have a step-by-step-by-step -step -step instruction from start to finish, right? 
And it's even worse when it's one of those three-in-one sets. Are you kidding me? I want the owl, the dog, and the rabbit daddy. And I said, no, it doesn't work like that, right? If you want to be the owl, we've got to build the owl. You want to be the rabbit, we've got to build the rabbit. I need all the pieces, right? When you want to control the change in your life, you're going to end up with something that is formed in whose image? Your own. When your parents ask you to change, it's according to whose perception of what the change should be. Theirs, albeit normally Christian parents, founded upon God's change, right? So, I want you to remember this. I need seven volunteers. Quickly. Seven people, stand up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Thank you. In your biggest booming announcer voice, plead read verses one and two, three and four, five and six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. We're going to read the yellow portion. If you have it on your in your Bibles, open it up. It's Matthew chapter twenty-two. Let's read these verses. How many of you have heard this parable before? Right. How many of you freak out at verse fourteen? Yeah, a few. Right. What happened here? Jesus is telling them of this great supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The greatest invitation to the greatest feast ever. And what did three people choose to do? The ones that were on the invited list. What did they do? Made excuses. And I like the way the Gospel of Luke puts it here, right? You can see it's a little bit bolded. First said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. i got to go look at it. Uh, Please have me excused. Another said, I bought uh, five yoke of oxen. I've got to go test them. I've got to prove them. Uh, I went and bought some cars, right? I went and bought an automobile. I went and bought this new device. I want to go play with it, right? Please have me excused. Last one simply said, huh? I've gotten married and a wife and I can't come. So the king says, go and bid people to my feast. They will come and they will sit at my table. And so that's what happens, right? People come that weren't invited. Historical context here, just quickly. The king had the meal prepared. The king also had garments prepared. You come in, you put on the king's garments, you sit at the king's table, you enjoy the feast. What does the garment represent in this parable? Anybody know? Christ's righteousness. So the three who were offered the initial invitation, the initial call, simply said, no thank you. I've got big, important, and better things to do. Then the ones that were bidden from the highways and byways came, were given the garments, the opportunity to sit at the table, and one chose to do what? Come to the table how? Dressed in his own garment. What does the Bible say our righteousness is like? Filthy rags. Can you imagine that? Everybody's dressed in the king's garment, and here's this one guy who says, I'm good. Comes from the highways and byways wearing his own filthy rags of righteousness to the table. And so the indictment at the end to people like this are, many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, you will be called to salvation. Perhaps maybe you've already been called this week. Some of you said that. Maybe right now in this forum you'll be called. Maybe later tonight you'll be called. But your response is not God's fault. Let me repeat that. 
Your response is not God's fault. He's given you the garment. He's providing you the greatest invitation you're ever going to receive in your life. Many are called, but few choose it. Change, right? Called to change. How does this change not be aligned to my own idea of what it should be? This is where your pen and paper should be out and you should be ready to scribe. Ready? This is what we want the change to look like. When you choose Him and never give an excuse, you become like those who were bidden to the feast, but yet maybe we're never invited initially, but we're still bidden in that second invitation and put on the righteousness of Christ because He gives the grace, the offering to you. Choose Him and never give excuses. Christian in this room, this is where I'm guilty too. This is how we can change. This forum isn't just for the unconverted. I can make every decision in life by choosing Him and never giving an excuse. And I know my life will continue to transform. And I will not be that chameleon. So, here's what I want us to do for a second. Do you see what I see? I put C's in quotes. Because the alliterations are going to smack you in the face right now. You're going to see a lot of words that start with the letter C. And that's pretty cool because... There's a lot of biblical terms that start with the letter C. Perhaps the most important biblical term that starts with the letter C is what? Christ. Christos, right? The anointed one, the king. Okay? It's not Jesus' last name. Don't forget that, right? Do you see what I see? Put yourself in God's perspective, if you will. Put yourself up and look at your life and ask yourself, is this the change that I see? Or is this the change that God wants to see? Two options. Conform, right? Survive. The chameleon. Change the outward appearance. Appease those of your parents and, and, and loved ones that you, you, you have shaped up in life. You look a lot better. Or convert. And so the result of choosing Him and never giving excuses is that your conversion will be founded upon the grace of God, which has been affected by repentance toward Him and faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. By choosing Him and never giving an excuse, you will affect, be made the way God wants you to be made. What is this? We've hit the halfway point. Here comes the science. All right. What is this? It's a graph, right? That's good. What else is it? Anybody have seen this? Any high school chemistry students in here? Yes. Speak to me. What is this? Phase diagram of what? This is a simple one, right? So this is water, right? Solid liquid vapor. Kind of explain to us the one that said phase diagram. What happens is... Uh, we go from solid, liquid, vapor. What are the two variables that must change? Temperature and pressure, right? So on your x-axis, you got temperature increasing and pressure increasing. And the $100 million question, 
what is the temperature and pressure in SI units, if you prefer, to get to boiling? 100 degrees Celsius, one atmosphere, or 101.3 kilopascals, right? For the Americans, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Good. And where do we start? We start at zero, right? So we know our temperature is lower, and we're at like 0 0.066 atmospheres. Phase diagram. Remember this. We're going to go through phases. And here's why this is important. This is the question I want you to think about in your mind. Because how many of you have heard these terms? I've been, ready, baptized. I've heard that. I've been saved. I've become a member. I've been taken up. I've been converted. Right? Are those synonyms? Yes or no? Simple. 50-50 shot. Are those synonyms? No. There's distinctions in all of those. So your question, when you go through this phase, if you will, that metamorphosis, you're going to ask yourself, going through these C words, when do I get baptized? And I'll tell you what. Along these phase changes, you're going to say to yourself, ha, huh, that's, that's when so-and-so was baptized, right after that one. And that might be in phase one. Then we get into phase two, and you're going to say, oh, that's when you should be baptized, right after that. And then you get to phase three, and you say, oh, maybe it should be at the end. or not." So let the confusion roll in your mind as you see these phases. Are you with me? I'm glad I can confuse you. Ready? Phase one. Simple, right? The calling. Get your pens and pencils out, if you will. A lot of C words. The invitation to come and accept. But for the Christian, generally speaking, it's a call to action. A call to change, to be more like Christ, and to serve in His kingdom further. Here's some verses. The great invitation at the end of Matthew chapter 11 is what? Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. We continue in phase one, and we get this thing called conviction. Conviction, in essence, is produced by the Spirit, reveals the guilt and the fear. So, a lot of you that said when you were called, I felt scared, I felt alone, I felt hopeless. In that calling, there was a conviction that was coming from the Spirit. And this happened in Peter's sermon when, they were, when it was done. They were pricked in their heart and says, what shall we do? Second part of phase one is contrition. Ooh, probably never use that word anymore, right? What does that simply mean? That's an extreme sorrow for having sinned. And it causes one to want to repent, to want to change, to no longer serve sin, but to serve God. The, the simple way to coin this would be to turn from your sin and turn to God. And here the verse says that the Spirit dwells in the heart of the contrite ones. The last part of phase one is confession. You've been called, you've been convicted, you feel really sorry, 
You, you repent. You tell God, I was wrong. You were right. I want your ways, not mine anymore. And you confess that with your mouth. You say that verbally, perhaps, to somebody, or at least to God in prayer. And you claim that Jesus Christ is who He says He is. You see that in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe in thine heart that He has raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. Here's the summary. Calling, convicted, contrition, confession. I'm taking some uh, scientific license, I guess. You can argue with me later if this makes sense. That's fine. It's just a poor analogy. I consider this the solid phase. Low temperature, low pressure, distinguishable, right? You can see this. These are your friends right now who are walking around. They're, they're pretty sad right now. Because maybe it's their first ride on the counseling carousel. They don't know how it's going to end, right? How many of you have experienced those things? Being called, convicted, contrite, confess, right? How many of you know people that were baptized after that phase? I do. We go on to phase two. Crucifixion. Here's the one that really identifies us with Christ. The dying to self, the dying to sin, no longer being slaves to it. Right? Romans 6 tells us that we are buried with Him by baptism. Right? The burying of the old man. And the representation here is that what? Our old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. And then the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says this about believers. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Second part of phase two. Consecration. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Consecration here is that being set apart for holy service, right? You've died to sin. You are set apart for something more than just yourself, but for His purposes. And here we see to be a present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It's reasonable. It's not unreasonable. It's something that the Spirit can work through you to no longer be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Third part, communion. You say, ah, you can't take communion until after you're baptized. That's the way the liturgy works, right? Yes, that is how it works in our denomination and in our churches. Communion happens after in the afternoon, typically, sometimes in the morning. But this communion here not only is symbolic for the Lord's Supper, yes, that's one way to define it, but this is also a communing with God on a daily basis, right? This is now part of the life change that's taking place. Our fellowship is no longer solely for the things of this earth, but with God and His people and fellow believers. Lastly, phase two, contemplation. You start to change the way you think about life. 
that change, that choosing Him and never giving excuses, now causes you to pause before you make those big decisions in life. Right? You heard this last night in the, forum, or in the sermon last night, right? The job, the career, the house, the car, the wife, all those things are no longer made prior to seeking God and His kingdom. Seeking God and His kingdom and His righteousness should always be at the forefront of my mind if I'm truly desiring the change that God wants to see in my life. Here's your summary. Crucifixion, consecration, communion, contemplation. This is the liquid phase. Again, I'm stretching here, right? Mid-range temperature and pressure basically takes the shape of the vessel that it's in. It might not look the same in everybody's life. But if it's affected by the Spirit according to His Word, this will take place in your conversion. Phase three, we've made it. Confidence. The reason you felt lonely, hopeless, struggled with fear is because it's not because you were not confident or you had this feeling that nobody loves me, nobody cares. It's somebody said it lacked faith. And what's beautiful about this word confidence, it's that assurance. That God said what He said and He will see it through to the end. That He which will commit that good work in you, that's Philippians 1.6 there, will continue it until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one we don't like to talk about too much. Chastening. You see now why the temperature and pressure is up a little bit higher in this phase? Because the reality is, the Lord chastens those. He disciplines, He corrects, He instructs in righteousness those whom He loves. Did you know if your parents never disciplined you, you probably wouldn't be sitting here right now? You know you'd be making some pretty bad decisions. Case in point, who believes that society is where it is for the most part because the degradation of the family and the father figures that should be there are no longer there. And so, the first authority figure these young men and women find is who in life? The police officer, right? The one who has to say, you're breaking the law. Guess what happens when we break the law? When we break God's law? when we aren't exactly who He wants us to be. He chastens us. He disciplines us. And that's to correct us, to get us back on the right course, to make sure that this change continues to take place. Contending. No, not in the negative connotation here. This isn't to be contentious, to fight with one another. This is to earnestly contend. This is to know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places, right? That it's not going to keep... The, the apostolic Christian church isn't going to be around unless we want it to continue. Do you agree with that? If we just stop caring, what do you think is going to happen? 
It's going to disappear. It's going to fade away. If Christianity stops contending amongst those who oppose them, what happens? It will diminish, but it will not go away. Why? Because God's Word will not return unto Him void. And so there will be some who will make it. The question is, will it be part of us? Last part of phase three. Perhaps the hardest one. Charity. Do you see what I see was the question, right? God wants to see these things in our lives. How many of you have heard the horror stories that happen in churches because brothers and sisters in Christ just can't get along? Well, guess what? Romans 5.5 tells us it is impossible. It is impossible to not love if the Holy Spirit of God has taken control of your life. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So here's your summary for phase three. Confidence, chastening, contending, charity. It's the vapor phase. It's the high temperature and pressure that's hard to recognize. You don't really see vapor. And in your life, you're going to go through scenarios where it's hot and the pressure's on and you're being called to have that assurance in Christ. To be corrected and instructed in righteousness. To earnestly contend for the faith. To keep pushing on. And to know that by this shall all men know that you're Christ's disciples. Not because you belong to the apostolic Christian church. Not because you've gone to Eastern camp since birth. Not because you have the best preachers and teachers and the best programs in your church. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By what? By your love, you have one toward another. And that's what makes this so challenging. Uh-oh. Back to the phase diagram. Test time? Is it test time? Ready? I guess if I ask the $100 million question for standard temperature and pressure at boiling, what's the T represent? Triple point what? Triple point equilibrium, where all three phases coexist. And if you didn't like science before today, you're going to love it now. Triple point equilibrium, the point at which all three phases coexist. Guess what happens at that point? When we look at that point, there's only one person we see this change that can be affected by. And it's, yes, us choosing him and never giving excuses, but it's only made possible by Christ. Why? Because we're complete in Him and not ourselves. How many of you knew that Christ is the head of the church? Good. How many of you knew that the Greek word for church was ecclesia, which means called out ones? Alright, a few. Take a look at this. Our call by God is so much bigger than just individuals being called to salvation. Do you realize that by answering that call to choose Him and never give excuses, 
the ramification of that decision you need to make makes you a part of that church, those called out ones. Why is that important? Revelation 17, 14, write that verse down. This is where I want to be and where you want to be. That when Christ returns and those that make war with the Lamb, that the Lamb will overcome them. For He is Lord of lords, King of kings, and they that are with Him are what? The called, the chosen, and the faithful. Why are you here? That was the question that was asked Sunday night. Why did you come to camp? My hope and prayer is more than just the fact that you got to get together and have a good time, see faces and friends from the past, but that you truly desire to change. Not the way you think change should be, not the way you want to control the change, but that you're going to choose Him and never give an excuse to not choose Him. To take the righteousness that He's offering to you and put the robe on. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Open forum. I know you guys want to get to teen choir because it's your last practice. So, questions, comments, any concerns? Thank you for your participation, guys. Enjoy your practice today.